We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Ball loose. Stevenson for three. Give me one, Lance. Stevenson ties it with 1.6. Duarte, he knows where the clock is, lets it fly and hits again. Halliburton at the buzzer. Captain Kush with another one. Brogdon goes inside and Turner finishes. Halliburton leaves it off for Batase. Go, go. Good job. Oh, what a move by Heald. He lays it in. Heald. Hotter than fish grease. Drops it off to Jalen Smith with the poster. Jackson the catch. Jackson the basket. Washington again. Five of them. Pacers got the steal. Outrunning is Brissette. Pounds it home. It to Taylor. Taylor missed it. Tips it in. Warren lets it fly. Yes! T.J. Warren is not human. Halliburton going to slam it at the other end. Pacer Nation, what is going on? It is your boy Mike Fauci here, and I'm here to talk about some Pacer basketball today as the season winds down. Uh, you know, while things have been a little dark and gloomy, a few positive notes recently. Pacers were able to come to agreement with Terry Taylor and Dwayne Washington Jr., on multi-year deals, get him signed through the rest of this season while also having options moving forward. Absolutely love it. Being able to reward your very own and be able to get them on very team-friendly deals. I mean, you guys obviously remember the Ed- Edmund Sumner contract, the O'Shea Brissett deal. Those were absolute bargains for the Pacers. So, you know, in, a, in what is most definitely a lost season, at least they were able to help fill out the rotation for next year on very team-friendly deals that will still preserve cap space moving forward. Pacers also did make another move. They converted uh, Gabe York into a two-way contract for the rest of the season. So it would be great to you know get a little bit of run. Like I said, not much room you know, left in the season to really get an evaluation, but at least the Pacers are going to be able to see what they got for the final two games of the season against the 76ers and the Brooklyn Nets. So shout out to Gabe. He had been absolutely killing it in the G League. So very nice to to see him get his shot with the Pacers. But I'm going to move out of our way and I'm going to bring on Howard Beck. Howard is a legend in the NBA community covering the NBA for, you know, a few decades now. 
and he is also the senior writer for Sports Illustrated and hosts the the crossover podcast with Chris Maddox, which is a must-listen. But you heard enough from me. I'm going to move over and bring in Howard. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy, with Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketplace platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. It's okay if you don't know much about marketing. Constant Contact's writing assistant tools and automation features help you craft messaging and say the right things at the right time. I use this to help write and send my email newsletters, and you should too. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, everybody, ladies and gentlemen of Setting the Pace, we now welcome on friend of the show, reoccurring guest, senior writer at Sports Illustrated and host of the Crossover Podcast, Howard Beck. Howard, what's going on? How you doing, Michael? Good to be back. Hey, oh, it's always great having you on. And, you know, we last caught up before the season, and now, you know, the season is wrapping up, so a lot has happened. But I thought we'd start with, you know, our Indiana Pacers, you know, our, our listeners were diehard about the Pacers and uh, we always love having outside perspective come on the show. So after being what felt like a mainstay in the playoff picture for, dare I say, the last 30 years, did it feel like it was finally time for the Pacers to hit the reset button and start a rebuild? Yeah, I mean, I, I see it in a couple different ways. Um It is actually remarkable because I think we, we quickly forget. So I was looking this up before we came on, like, they not only had five straight winning seasons from 2015 through through 2020, but they had, had winning seasons in eight of their previous nine going back to the 2011-12 season. And so, and that's a couple different eras, right? You've got the the Paul George breakthrough in that team, uh, you know, Lance Stevenson and George Hill, David West and Hibbert, like that, that whole group. And when that starts to erode and you don't quite know where it's going, and then Paul George decides he wants out, 
like they didn't, you know, they didn't want to tear down or, or, you know, trade and all, you know, perennial NBA player and Paul George, but they had to. And so you rebuild on the fly, essentially. They make a deal that nobody at the time thought was anything more than just, you know, saving face. And, you know, nobody thought Oladipo was going to become an all-star or Sabonis become an all-star. And so th they hit a home run with a deal that they didn't want to make in the first place. Um, turns out pretty well for them. But then you've got Oladipo's injury issues and you've got TJ Warren's injury issues and Brogdon comes in and now he's getting hurt and Oladipo, you know, there was all the rumblings about him wanting out anyway. And so again, like I feel like through, I don't want to say no fault of their own, but essentially just circumstance, the Pacers just were kind of backed into a corner. Like what else were they going to do other than squeeze the most as, as they could out of this group and, and then decide when it was time to to pivot. And I wouldn't even call this like a rebuild. Like it's, yes, yeah, Sabonis was your your best, you know, uh, you know, core player, and the guy who made a couple All Star teams. But you know, how many years running was it where it was the question of can Sabonis and Turner really function well together? Do they need to pick one or the other? What who's it going to be? And so, you know, look, I, especially with a new coach and after having the, the misfire on the previous coach and several years of frankly, just overachieving, I mean, they Nate McMillan, you and I have talked about this before, just squeeze the most out of that team for that, that whole five-year run I was talking about of, of winning seasons when nobody really thought much of, you know, you know, what of, of their, of their ceiling. Um, and that's the thing, this team had a low ceiling. So not surprised that in year one of Rick Carlisle, and Carlisle being Carlisle, like you're going to come in, see what you got, figure out what the best path forward is and, and start reshuffling the deck. Like I kind of assumed that some things would start to move this season and obviously a pretty dramatic trade with Sabonis for Halliburton. Absolutely. Look, there's only, oh, so many band-aids you could really put on a team before, you know, you, you say that, hey, this isn't just maybe uh, necessarily a, a, like a wound that's going to heal itself or whatever. You got to start over. So I think in this situation, basically when you mention a low ceiling, that's kind of how we viewed this Pacers team. If Sabonis is your top guy, how far are you going to go? So they end up, you know, shaking things up a bit. First, it started with the Karis LeVert trade, which was pretty much just trying to acquire a first round pick, getting some cap space, getting a guy off that, you know, was going to be able, was not going to be here, but open up playing time for the likes of a Chris Duarte, some other younger guys. But the Pacers made their bigger trade, when they shipped out our two-time All-Star, DeMontis Sabonis, Justin Holiday, as well as Jeremy Lamb, to the Kings, we brought in Tyrus Halliburton, Buddy Heald, and then we'll, we'll call it the contract of Tristan Thompson, to put it lightly. You know, put it lightly. His time in Indiana was not long, but what was your reaction to a trade like that that actually sent ripples through the NBA? <laughs> it was a shocker in a lot of ways. I mean, th there wasn't a – like, no one was shocked – that the Pacers decided to, to kind of, you know, break things up, go a new direction, or even that they were going to trade Sabonis like that part, not at all that the Kings in finally making what seemed like an overdue move on their side of things ended up trading Tyrese Halliburton, who had done nothing but just impress the hell out of everybody, everybody uh, across the league. And here he is year two on his rookie contract. Um, showing you know great abilities way beyond what i think people believed on on draft day uh, a couple of years ago and like i'm still a little stunned i'm still a little stunned i 
I get what the Kings were doing, but I, I, you know, like, like most people, I thought the Pacers were the big winner in that deal. And that's not a knock on Sabonis or on the Kings. They were in a tough position. They'd already invested, uh, you know, a boatload of money in De'Aaron Fox. And maybe they just figured that uh, they had to pick one or the other and that they just, they just, they weren't going anywhere with what they had, but on the Pacers side of it, um, this is a home run move. It really is. Uh, I don't, I don't think anybody really knows what Halliburton's ceiling is, but I think it's higher <laughs> than anybody anticipated. And he's shown that, um, you know, two years in, he's a 40% three-point shooter, very consistently, really good passer. He's got size and versatility. He can play both guard spots. He can move up to, you know, small forward a little bit. Um, and a great all-around guy. Like, you know, I, I don't know him personally. We've, we haven't chatted, but um, – everything that I've heard and everything, you know, you see him on, on JJ Reddick's podcast or just in interviews, the, his, you know, every, every media session, thoughtful, engaging, seems like a guy you want to build around. And, you know, when we say that you, you obviously talent matters most in the NBA, all the character and great personality in the world isn't necessarily going to, you know, win you games for the next five to 10 years. But those things certainly help a lot. Um, but when I say build around, I, I, I think that's the kind of guy you want to build around. Does he have the, the talent to be um, the franchise player? I, I don't know. I, I, I think we'd be foolish to doubt it at this stage just because of what we've already seen and some of the numbers he's put up. And um, I, I think it, the curiosity for me is, you know, do the Pacers see him as – I, obviously he can be a foundational piece. Is he your number one, two, three, four? I like in terms of, of pecking order, um, who do you need around him? What's the next move? What's their concern long-term about miles Turner? It seems like he's getting hurt, you know, every, you know, every season it's, it's, it's hard to get him through the season. Um, how do they feel about, you know, Halliburton Brogdon backcourt? I actually like it in a lot of ways. I, I, I think I'm, I'm good with going forward that way, but I mean, clearly, uh, you know, both are used to having the ball in their hands a lot. Uh, but I think they can both play off the ball a lot too. So I, I, I like it. Um, I thought it was a great trade for the Pacers. And the, like I say, I, I think the biggest curiosity is you're clearly not done retooling. It's not even a rebuild because it's kind of on the fly and you're not, and you're not like the Pacers have a reputation for never really tearing down to the studs. They're not going to just like, you know, jettison everybody and tank and play for lottery balls. Like they they have not traditionally done that, even if they've ended up in the lottery a few times. And so uh, I'm curious to see with this, this kind of, you know, middle build as, as some people have called this, this style where it goes from here and, and what else they do this offseason. Yeah. They never really do rebuild. And right now we're at the lowest that the Pacers have been since you know, pre Reggie Miller. I mean, that, that really shows that, Ever since the Pacers got Reggie Miller from there, they've been able to put pretty much, for the most part, a winning product out there, even if it's just an eighth seed or, you know, a middle-of-the-pack playoff team. You know, they've always tried to stay competitive. But, you know, one of the hardest things to do in the NBA is to find point guard stability, a, a franchise point guard, maybe to say even a, a true point guard. They're really hard things to come by. And I think that when you're going to enter – you know, a, a retool, a rebuild, or whatever fancy name the Pacers want to put on it to show that we're still committed to winning, starting with a, a true point guard is is a great starting point. And we've seen Halliburton now have, over this is just in the past month, 
He's had two games with 15 assists or more and zero turnovers. So it just shows that this is a major building block for this team. And, you know, I just wanted to kind of, you know, while we don't want to put a ceiling on him, I mean, hey, the Pacers gave up a two-time All-Star in Sabonis for a guy that, yeah, while he hasn't been an All-Star yet because it's only two years into his career, I mean, what do you think maybe Halliburton can become? Do you see him as a multi-time all-star do you see him as you know maybe just a really good player but overall I think that he's someone that makes the team around him better and I think that's a great starting point but maybe from what you view as what he could become is there something that you see in him I I think the possibility of him becoming a multiple time all-star is absolutely there I think it's helped by the fact that he's not just a scorer or just a passer he's he, he balances it well and he's not just an offensive player he's obviously a, a very capable and, and uh and, and uh, you know great defender um who i think has a chance to be an all, de- all defensive team type player and you know I, I think in today's nba i think we're you know a little smarter than we once were um as as viewers whether media or fans about trying to assess both sides and and you know guys who can play at a high level at both ends is, is so incredibly valuable. And I, th- I think we're, we're valuing that more now in the way we assess players than, than maybe we were, you know, 10, 20 years ago. I think to me, um, you know, I, I, like I don't, it's, it's so the tough thing is this, right? Um, the reason Halliburton goes outside the top 10 in the first place is no one sees the, the prototypical, like explosive athletic, Mm-hmm. profile right that we have fallen in love with and that we are often like fooled by over and over again because teams will consistently like draft athletes over guys who are just really sound uh smart players and it, and it doesn't always work out um and so you know i know the kings were thrilled to get Halliburton where they did uh i know a lot of teams probably regret having passed on him and the question becomes like can you be elite in this league, perennial all-star, all-NBA caliber type player um, without the higher athletic profile. Well, yeah, of course you can. We, we, we've seen it with other players. Uh, so I, I think some of that will depend on who they put around him to make his you know, job easier and to highlight his best skills. Um, I, but yeah, I mean, I, I think the possibility is there. I, I just, I, I think it's, it's hard sometimes in a guy's career when they're still this young not everybody's going to leap off the page and, and leap off your screen the way that John Morant does, right? Um, you know, but you don't have to be an eye-popping athlete to make a great impact in this league. So, you know, who saw who saw Sabonis becoming a multiple-time All-Star? Uh, you know, when he was in in Orlando or Oklahoma, um, much less when the Pacers traded for him. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, when you mentioned, you know, eye popping things like that, an eye popping stat, and there's so many stats out there these days. But Tyrese Halliburton actually leads his draft class in win shares at over, it's at 10.3 win shares compared to other guys. And, and a lot of that d- depends on the situation. But this man was in Sacramento and he went to Indiana. So it's not like he was just put into a winning situation. But, you know, when you mentioned athleticism, I mean, for instance, the Knicks, they've needed a, a franchise point guard for years and years, and maybe they took a little bit of the flashy athleticism with an Obi Toppin, a guy who can, you know, dunking skills are, are ridiculous, and, you know, he's National Player of the Year, but was, you know, a bit older, and it just shows that, hey, sometimes the sexiest pick is not always the best pick, but I'm happy that the Pacers were able to, you know, end up acquiring Tyrese Halliburton. But now as we move into talking about picks and drafts, the draft lottery, 
uh, we've switched up the system a, a couple of years ago, and you know, now it, it's it's put in place to prevent tanking. However, do you think it's doing maybe the best job that it could be? Because you know it still seems like tanking is always going to be a thing. Do you like the improvements they've made from a few years ago? I think uh, there's two things that the NBA has done in the last few years to try to address tanking. One was changing the lottery odds to flatten it out at the top so that the team with the worst record didn't have the best odds. Now the team with the three worst records, uh, those three teams have equal odds for the, for the number one pick. They did that. And then they introduced the play-in tournament and the play-in was, was it didn't start off as an anti-tanking mechanism, but it was certainly part of the thought process. I think that has actually had a bigger impact than the changed lottery odds. And it's hard to prove and it's hard to know anything for sure because the changed lottery odds were only a few years in. Then the then the you know then we go go into a couple of weird seasons because of the pandemic, and then they introduced the play-in along the way. And this is only the second year of this version of the play-in, and where we started a season with uh, with this on the board, knowing that 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 this would be the case. It gave teams more incentive to win down the stretch. It gave teams less incentive to tank if they were still plausibly in the running for the ninth or tenth spot in March and April. And so to the extent that it's had teams, it's incentivized teams, you know, we saw it this year with, you know, say, you know, like, like the Pelicans could have pulled the plug, right. The Spurs, um, you know, and, and certainly, you know, however we think about this catastrophic Lakers season, I, you know, after everything else they went through, they were still plausibly in the running for a play in spot. And if, you know, okay, they don't make it, Granted, that's not great for the league on some level. You lose LeBron from the playoff ratings and everything else. Mm -hmm. But the intrigue of watching them go for it or not go for it, however you might view that, uh, you know, provided another another um, storyline down the stretch and it provided incentive. So I, I, I'm not sure the lottery odds have had that big of an impact. I do think the playing tournament has had an impact. That said, there's no question that teams are still tanking, right? Like, Portland and Oklahoma had a game the other night where you could barely recognize the starting fives or the rotations. Um, and it, it's, so it's, it's still happening. Um, and teams are still going into seasons like, you know, Orlando, Houston, Detroit, all, all teams that are at, at the, the top of the lottery odds right now are all teams that went into this season thinking, yeah, we're, we're probably not going to be good. And that's fine. We're, we're in a rebuild. We've got young players. We could use another high pick. And so they're not really trying that hard to build up immediately. I don't really have a problem with that, to be honest. I, I, I'm more of a problem with the, the, the version of tanking where you get late in the season, you realize that you're having a, a tougher time, a tougher season than you had planned on. And so you start pulling the plug, you start resting guys more, you start you know benching veterans who could play, but you like, ah, you know, he's got a slightly turned ankle. Let's just shut him down. I mean, the shutting down of players, the complete pulling of the plug late in the season. That to me is, is more corrosive. I don't mind that a team like Orlando or Detroit who are clearly rebuilding anyway. I, I mean, I, I don't want them to go the other direction. I don't want them to go throw a bunch of bad money at a bunch of veterans in the off season, just for the sake of, of chasing 40 wins and an eighth seat or something like for, for what, you know, like it's okay to have a two or three year rebuilding process not tanking, but just like legitimate rebuilding. Not all 30 teams can be competitive every season. Some are going to be bad, whether by design or by happenstance. And so um, 
you know, the NBA is in a better place now than it was, say, five years ago with regard to tanking. I do definitely agree with that because, look, having, you know, say a 14% chance at the top overall pick rather than like a 25% chance, it is a big difference. So I do think you are starting to see some teams, you know, have some players out there like Detroit. They're still trying to win. I mean, not maybe the same as some other teams, but they, they've been competitive. But then you mentioned, you know, for the Pacers, I mean, we saw – for Malcolm Brogdon, you know, it said rest, 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 that he was held out. Then it said ramping up conditioning, and then it just said rest, rest, rest. And I was like, oh, come on. I mean, we got we to gotta come up with a reason rather than just rest because this guy isn't 38 years old. He's 29. So, you know, let's, let's at least make it seem like it's more reasonable, like maybe there is an injury rather than just like you mentioned, just putting rest as the did not play coach decision. So, Last thing on touching on the, the lottery, I mean, one thing I found kind of weird, the Pacers currently, you know, if it ended today, uh, they'd be in the, the five spot. But due to the lottery, they actually have the lowest chance at staying at five at just 2.2% chance. So they actually have a better chance picking anywhere else other than five. Does that make much sense to you? Because to me, it's very puzzling. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'm sure if I got Evan Wash from the NBA on the phone. Um, I can't remember Evan's exact title, but he deals with a lot of these things when it comes to the mechanics of the lottery, the schedule, everything. And he's a super, super smart guy. I, I, I am absolutely certain Evan could explain to you and I um, exactly why it's designed that way. I would guess, I'm only guessing, um, that the fact that the Pacers are fifth and only have a 2.2% chance of picking fifth has to do with some of the randomness and the disincentives that they were trying to put into play here. Right. So you're trying to keep teams from having any incentive to keep losing it. So where they're slotted right now. So I've pulled up the, the lottery odds. Mm -hmm. The Pacers are currently slotted fifth, right. And 2.2% yep. chance of picking fifth. They have a almost 20% chance of picking sixth and an almost 27% chance of picking seventh. And so I think what you're seeing there, and then when you go uh, ahead of them, it's, you know, it's in the 10% range for four, three, two, and one. What you're trying to do is create a situation where teams can't try to game the system, right? So if you're hovering at sixth, sixth worst record, and you're thinking I should lose a couple more games, that'll get me to fifth. And there's only a 2.2% chance of staying in the fifth slot okay, you don't have any incentive now to, to lose a few more games to go to fifth, right? Um, so I, I think there's something to that. And I, I, think, I think that's maybe what the NBA was, was aiming for. It's a great point. So, I mean, that must be what it is. You know, I'll leave it to guys like Evan, you know, who clearly, you know, they, they have the system down pat. But for the rest of us, it's, it's just so weird that we have a better chance picking anywhere else other than, you know, what you would think would be most likely. But, hey, that's how the NBA wants to do it. So, you know, I'm on board. But you know, moving over, you know, past the Pacers, the regular season, it, it is, it is going to wrap up in the next few days. And we have some teams maybe at the top of the standings that we did not predict. In the East, the Miami Heat, they're in the one seed, and I feel like no one is talking about them. Would you say they're being slept on, or are they perhaps overrated? The Heat? Yep. So this has been a really, really strange it's, season in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm, it has. Especially in the East. Um, 
you know, the Bucs should be the favorites based on being defending champs and still having a pretty solid season, albeit not a dominant season. You know, the Heat could be considered favorites by just traditional, hey, they're, they're, they've been the best record all season in the East by record. The Celtics could have been the favorite up until a couple of weeks ago when Robert Williams III went down with an injury, but they'd been the most dominant team for the last few months and looked like they were the most powerful team. And then the Nets could be on paper, right? Uh, even, even coming from the play-in. And so, and then the Sixers, uh, I don't know what to make of the Sixers, but, you know, at, at times since the Harden trade, the Sixers have looked capable of beating anybody. Um, so it, there's just no clear cut uh, vision, I think. And I think the Heat, on, you know, set aside just whatever the weird blow up on the bench was a couple weeks back. Mm-hmm. On record, on toughness, on defense, on just the collective uh, character of that team, I think they're a legit contender. But the Heat aren't built like a typical champion in the NBA. They don't have a Giannis, they don't have a Kevin Durant. They don't have a Steph Curry. They don't have a LeBron James. They don't have a Jason Tatum. You know, Jimmy Butler's really, really good, but Jimmy Butler is not at the level of those other guys in terms of just creating shots and creating scoring opportunities out of thin air. He does a lot of everything really well. He's tough as hell. He's a great defender. And Kyle Lowry is a, a champion and a multiple-time All-Star, albeit up there in years. And Bam Adebayo is, is one of the most versatile bigs in the NBA. But there's no one guy who you say – you know, crunch time, game seven, fourth quarter, go, go manufacture something out of thin air because the other team has Giannis doing that. And that's where I feel like it probably breaks down for the heat. Can they, can they throttle just about anybody with their defense? Yes. Can they score a pretty high clip when necessary? Yes, but they're not the most potent offensive team and they don't have that one guy that you just hand the ball to and say, go do something because everything else is, has been, has been throttled by the other team. Um, and generally speaking deep in the playoffs, everybody's pretty good defensively. And so, you know, you, you need to, you need to be a little bit more than that. So um, I respect the hell out of the heat. I think there is there. It, it's not impossible for them to make the finals, but they're never going to have, or very rarely going to have the best player on the floor. And that's one of those NBA axioms. that's kind of hard to get around. It's all valid points. I mean, look, defensively toughness. Yeah, sure. They have all that, but yeah, you made a great point. They don't have that guy that can necessarily, you can draw up a play for at the end of the game that can get you a basket. Well, which brings me over to a team that they could face in the first round. That's the Brooklyn Nets. They're currently slated for the eighth spot. Would you say this could perhaps be one of the most dangerous eight, eight seeds of all time, given they had an interesting situation with Kyrie, you know, uh, Harden got traded, Durant missed a lot of time, but they do, they have two guys at the end of the game that can get you that basket that you need. So it would make for a very interesting first round. What's your thoughts on the Brooklyn Nets as an eight seed? Yeah, I don't believe in this team. Uh, they're in my backyard. I see them a fair amount and I'm just, I'm not sold. I, I know that the, the general view is, uh, oh, hey, you know, KD and Kyrie, they can, you know, get your points out of thin air, all of that. Two of the most talented individual uh, players in the NBA, two of the most talented individual scorers in NBA history. They, all of it's true. It's all true. And I wouldn't want to be facing them either or game planning for them. Fine. But um, 
they don't have Ben Simmons, so they don't have that third star, and, and they don't have obviously James Harden to have the third star that they originally intended to have. So they're not overpowering in that regard. And I mean, essentially they're 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 down a 30 something million dollar player, mm-hmm. $35 million player, because Ben Simmons is not playing. And not only that, but you know, if you don't have that guy, you'd at least you know have some semblance of or an array of, of role guys taking up those salary slots instead. They don't have that. And so their depth isn't that great. Their defense is not very good. And at times this offense just completely breaks down. Like, yes, they're great one-on-one, but sometimes that's all they've got because, you know, teams are trying to take everything away from you. And so, you know, and if you, you know, I saw this recently when the, the Nets uh, lost to the Bucks, they were locking up Kyrie, but he's still dominating the ball, trying to, to do it on his own. And part of that's because, well, who else are you going to pass to? It's either you or Kevin Durant. And, you know, I don't know that there's enough chemistry and trust and enough time logged with this supporting cast. You know, it's all very new still. Kyrie played, a you know, a quarter to a third of the season. Durant was out for six weeks. They got Andre Drummond and, and Seth Curry at the trade deadline. And immediately th- those guys become major rotation players. And Ben Simmons still hasn't played. Like, they just haven't had that much time. And so I, I've been saying this lately. Like, if we're going to talk about chemistry and continuity and all these, 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 you know, important concepts, these intangibles that make teams great, then, it, then, then we have to believe in that. And, and if we believe in those things, then I can't believe in the nets because they haven't had that much time together. And the, the notion that Ben Simmons, like he's already been ruled out of the play-in. So let's say they make it out of the play-in. Are you going to start him on game one of the playoffs when he hasn't played a single minute or practiced a single minute with this team up until now? I mean, that's crazy. And I can't see him playing. I can't. I don't I don't think he is. Like, let, let's be clear. I don't think we'll see Ben Simmons at all. But if he suddenly is cleared and you're going to throw him out there, like, how, do you, how does how does that mess with your your chemistry and your feel for each other and everything? It just it doesn't make it, it's it's not a it's not a winning formula. It's it's uh, it's problematic, to say the least. So um the Nets are great. I respect the hell out of them. Kevin Durant is awesome. I just, I don't see it. I don't see that they're going to uh, get through three rounds against potentially three different 50 win teams, all of which have been together longer and have, you know, more cohesion and a better sense of each other. Yeah. You know, it really does kind of feel like a lost season for them. I mean, last year they were so close. If Durant's foot isn't on the line, a lot of things are differently, but even then, you know, the, the combination of Harden, Kyrie, Durant, they only got to play, I, I think it was like it's like eight eight or so games. It might have been, you know, maybe 15, whatever it was. It was under 20 games together. So, you know, a big shame, but it's going to be a tall hill for them to overcome. But when you mention chemistry, one team that has arguably the best chemistry right now and people are not really talking about, the Memphis Grizzlies. They have the second best record in the league, and they actually have an absurd record without John Morant, their best player. So it feels like there's a big part of the NBA that's like, hmm, that's cute what Memphis is doing. But then there could be some other people that are maybe overlooking them. Do you think Memphis can make some noise as a two seed? Or is it just, hey, they're not really as battle tested. They're a young team. You know, this might not be the year, but they'll learn a lot from it. Yeah, I mean, there are some of these what I call the, you know, immutable is almost too strong of a word, but the immutable laws of the NBA postseason, And one of them is that youth doesn't win. Mm-hmm. And occasionally somebody comes along and disproves that notion. Um, another one of those immutable laws that applies to the Grizzlies is that you don't go from 
you know, team that's never even won a playoff series. And that's been, you know, mostly a lottery team for several years. And then, you know, clearly they, you know, like they, they made the playoffs last year, but um, you know, it was, it was a quick out. Usually you need to get, you know, you, you take your lumps, you have to be battle tested on some level, you know, you, you lose the first year, you go come back the second year, you win a round or two, you fall back again. Like, yeah, that that's the usual pattern. Not always. Right. And the sun's jumped from perennial lottery team to finals, um, albeit under, you know, very unique circumstances. The Grizzlies are really young and they're, they're all their key players are really young and they've made this massive leap that nobody saw coming that they couldn't have predicted themselves. And I, I you know, I, it's, it's too much. And we've started to get to this point where we're almost talking about him as being like this cute little underdog story, pat them on the head and say, but you know, now, now go on your way and, and leave it to the big boys. That is too strong. <laughs> they have a chance to make a lot of noise in the playoffs. They have a chance to make the conference finals, especially because the West as strong as it is, it's it, there's no overpowering teams, right? Like even if you want to say the Suns, based on record are, are, are a dominant team and they are, um, the Warriors are banged up as we speak. We're waiting for to see what, you know, when Steph Curry will be back and what he'll look like. And they haven't had Curry, Draymond, and, and Clay Thompson together very much this season. Um, so you don't have the typical, you know, they were the they were the reigning dynasty, and they are they're in kind of this weird phase right now where they're trying to, to kind of you know refine their footing. The Mavericks have Luca, but not an overpowering team. The Jazz are some stage of, of dysfunctional or, or just kind of underwhelming. The Nuggets are missing two key players. So, I mean, you look at all that, you know, if, I mean, if, if this were the old system with no play-in, as of now, it would be um, Memphis and Minnesota in the first round. Do I think the Grizzlies would beat the Timberwolves? Yeah, probably. Um, and then second round, they're taking on the winner of the three, six, which again, under the old system, we would be talking about, well, even under this system, we're talking about Warriors Nuggets. So then it becomes, well, <laughs> which Warriors are they seeing in the second round? Mm -hmm. um, I, I think it's safe to say the Grizzlies are going to win a, a playoff series. I think so. Time in, a, in a while. Um, whether they make the conference finals will have a lot to do with, assuming it's the Warriors, what the state of the Warriors is at that point. And I'm listen, I'm going to bet on the veteran team. I'm going to bet on the reigning dynasty. I'm going to bet on, you know, the two-time MVP, Steph Curry, and one of the greatest shooters of all time, Clay Thompson, though he's obviously still, you know, kind of getting his game back after two years out. I'm going to bet on those guys. And so probably, you know, un un under the, you know, scenario that we, we would predict would happen now. And by the way, the, the, the Warriors could still end up in the four or five uh, uh, bracket instead, in which case, the Grizzlies would avoid them in the second round and maybe they're getting Dallas. So there are scenarios where the, where the Grizzlies make the conference finals. It's, it's definitely on the table. Okay. Well then that brings me right into, you know, my final question. Can I get an NBA finals matchup from you and a winner as well as an MVP prediction, not for the finals, but just those last two, what do you got? Yeah. I mean, listen, I, uh, it, I'll, 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 I'll play the game only because you asked, but like, I'm, <laughs> you know, I will, I will change these predictions every five minutes. Probably. That's what it feels like for me. And for MVP, it's so hard this year. MVP is, is really hard this year. And even predicting the finals, like I'm, I'm kind of like a lot of people right now defaulting to, uh, you know, a Suns Bucks rematch um, for a lot, a lot of the reasons we just stated, right? Like, I, I don't know if there's another team in the West that you can really count on to be able to, to dethrone the Suns. Now, if the, again, if the Warriors are full strength, whatever full strength means right now, I would take the Warriors over the Suns. 
but I can't, I can't say that right now today. Um, so right now it feels like Suns Bucks. And again, in the, in the East, I just don't think there's a team that has enough to knock the Bucks out. It could happen, you know, playoffs, you know, something funky happens, somebody twists an ankle, whatever else, but the Bucks are the most sound team right now in the East. So it's looking like a rematch and, you know, maybe the Suns come out on top this time. I, I kind of still lean Bucks. I think a lot of people are leaning Suns now if in the, in the rematch scenario. I think I still lean Bucks because Giannis is just that great. Um, and then on the MVP, it certainly looks like it's going to go Jokic if you believe, you know, not if you believe, but like by all indications mm-hmm. of not just the conversation out there, but Tim Bontemps does his uh, straw polls and the latest one from a week and a half ago. I think it was a week and a half, maybe it was a week ago, had Jokic clearly in the lead. I was one of the the nine people who voted for Giannis in that last straw poll, but my ballot is is not due until you know Monday night. Oh, interesting. You know, and and I have not I have not decided um, with certainty. It's not in stone yet. I have not you know I don't I don't fill out my ballot um, or I don't send my ballot until the day after the season ends because we have the time and I use all the time that I can get. So. Um, it is a three person race and they all have a case and, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure where I'll finally end up, but I did vote for Giannis in the final Bontemps straw poll. Okay. Yeah, no, they all have a case right over there. So anytime you're going to, you know, make a case for one person, it doesn't mean that we're, you know, discrediting someone else, but everybody does has a case case over there. I mean, Giannis, obviously fantastic player. He, he, just like you said, you very much think that you could lead the bucks back to the championship and win it. Jokic, he shouldered a team for most of the year. You know, Jamal Murray hasn't played. Michael Porter Jr. barely played. And Embiid, obviously doing freakish things in, you know, as little minutes as possible. So guys averaging basically more points than minutes. I mean, just phenomenal stuff over there. But, Howard, I want to thank you very much for coming on our show. It's always a treat for our listeners. And please tell everybody where they could find you on social media and maybe some of the awesome content that you have coming up. Uh, I'll, you, everybody can always find me, of course, on Twitter, where I spend probably too much time. Me at too. Howard Beck. No underscores, no dashes, no other fancy stuff. Just my name, at Howard Beck. Uh, my work's all on SI.com. And, of course, the Crossover Podcast, which I co-host with Chris Mannix uh, once a week. And then second episode, which uh, it's just me as the solo uh, host with a guest. My guest for this week, publishing on April 8th, will be Logan Murdoch, my good friend from The Ringer, who had a phenomenal feature recently on Kevin Durant that we'll discuss, among other things. And uh, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll have the usual stuff coming as the, as the uh, postseason arrives. Um, stories on SI.com. Nothing I want to tease just yet, but uh, appreciate the support. And Michael, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me again. Awesome. Everybody give Howard a follow. Make sure you check out his latest episode. Howard, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, I look forward to having this conversation again, maybe next season. Absolutely. Thank you. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Setting the Pace. And remember, please leave us a five-star review when you get a chance. If if you guys like what you hear, it really helps us out. Um, Like I always say, this show is long gone without our listeners. So thank you very much for that. You can find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook at Setting the Pace. You can find us on TikTok at Setting the Pace. And at the end of the day, if you are very excited for the NBA lottery, which will be next month, 
to see the Pacers potentially move up because we are so due for some luck, then give me a little bit of a let's go Pacers. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.